Welcome to this special episode of The Screen Podcast, sponsored by Telefilm Canada in collaboration with the Canada Media Fund, the Canada Broadcasting Corporation, and Radio Canada. I'm Matt Mueller, the editor of Screen International. In this sponsored episode, three of the most influential women in the Canadian media industry sit down together to assess Canada's role in the global marketplace. Catherine Tate is the president and CEO of CBC Radio Canada, the national public broadcaster. Krista Dickinson is the executive director of Telefilm Canada, which supports the industry through funding and promotional programs. And Valerie Creighton is president and CEO of the Canada Media Fund, which develops and finances content for a range of platforms. In this candid conversation, Catherine, Krista, and Valerie reveal how much work goes into maintaining relationships with international partners, why it's crucial they support Indigenous creators, and what the next big challenges for the industry will be. But first, what makes Canada and Canadian content so distinctive? Catherine Tate. We are the largest commissioner of original Canadian content in the country. Um, we independently produced Canadian content. And as a result of that, we probably have the most extensive network of creative relationships in the country. And we're very, very focused on telling authentic stories from the regions, from every corner of the country. And we believe very strongly that if we focus on those strengths, we will cause global audiences to become very interested in our shows. So for example, a show like Kim's Convenience, that uh, tells the story of uh, new immigrants, Nuka Korean family, um, in, an, in an entrepreneurial setting, the convenience store that we're all very familiar with. That show has uh, gained enormous following in Canada, but also around the world. I think it won a prize recently in, uh, in Korea as the best foreign drama in that country. In Number South, one show in Korea. In, in, in South Korea. So, so really for us, it's about staying focused on the creative talent in the country and finding those authentic stories because at the end of the day it doesn't matter if it's in English or in French or in any other language for that matter um, it's about uh, telling the stories that are going to resonate with audiences around the world you know I think that uh, from Telefilm's perspective the competitive advantage that Canada has and that Telefilm brings to the table is our partnerships on an international stage uh, we've distinguished ourselves as being the first non-European country, for instance, to be a member of Eurimage. Eurimage has a total of 40 countries that participate. The opportunity to partner that way and provide those opportunities to Canadian creators to, to be able to access additional funds and contacts is, is limitless in possibilities. So in the two years where we've been members of Eurimage, we've seen 13 projects be funded, but it's more than just that. It's actually the fact that it means greater budget, it means greater access to, to talent, uh, to stars, and that halo effect of that your project gets picked up by Eurimage funding is still being exposed to all those those countries. Now, some examples of the projects I'm talking about would be the Hummingbird Project. So the Hummingbird Project is produced by Item Set, Pierre Evin, director Kim Yoon, and has stars like Selma Hayek, Jesse Eisenberg, and you know, is now sold in 25 countries. That's a great success story, and it's the Canadian um, advantage. And why? Because we have so many treaties, co-production treaties with other countries, which makes it possible at the end of the day. 
I think for the Canada Media Fund, there's three things that we focus on. I mean, the first is the financial tools that support the content makers, because without those, you don't get the content made. And at the CMF, we were the first agency in the world, uh, let's see, that was in 2009, we were announced, 2010, we started the program that had the mandate for traditional television, and all producers who came to us for support had to have another platform that could be mobile, it could be streaming, it could be web series. But it was a very interesting time in the country because we weren't used to that kind of approach. Mm -hmm. We weren't used to a content-centric, platform-agnostic approach. And over the last 10 years, I think what we've learned is great stories, compelling ideas, and stories can come from anywhere. So with our 350 million, we support certainly traditional television, great international success stories, Kim's, Schitt's mm -hmm. Creek, also CBC, Vikings, which had the highest rating in a certain demographic in Iceland, where Vikings came from, so that's not mm -hmm. a bad uh, success story. <laughs> but what we've also seen is tremendous growth on what is called in our world the experimental stream. So that's VR, XR, MR, AR, and storytelling in games, in web, in mobile applications that are really resonating around the world thanks to the digital revolution. So we look at, at how we stay competitive is first of all finding the, the right financial tools to support the content makers, international relationships as Krista mentioned. You know, we've got these great treaties in the country which have been very beneficial, but when we got the mandate for the digital media side, a lot of those treaties at that time didn't really speak to that. Mm -hmm. So we started to form what we call international matching funds with international partnerships around the world. We have 13 of them now. And these really focus on the very beginning creative idea. A lot of them are in digital media. Some are in more traditional forms like kids and documentary. But it's giving the producers a chance to come together right when the content is being determined, not mm -hmm. try to chase co-production money, which is often, the, often what happens when people are looking for financing around the world. This is tough business out there. So these little initiatives complement the treaties. In fact, many of them might move forward into the treaty system once they're developed. And the other, the other place is the support of the talent. I mean, Canada's content stands shoulder to shoulder with the world in terms of our success in docs, in kids, and increasingly drama. So if you have those three little legs of that stool, you have a chance, I think, to be competitive in the world market. And just to dovetail on that, one of the things that uh, CBC has been doing with, uh, with respect to both uh, the Telefilm and uh, Canada Media Fund partnerships is to pursue relationships with other public broadcasters around the world because as we are all very aware, as you are aware, uh, the reality is we have some very, very uh, juggernaut style players in the marketplace that weren't there even five years ago. If you think about it, there was no Netflix, there was no Prime, uh, Amazon mm -hmm. Prime, sure. uh, Disney Plus, all of these players within deep, deep pockets. So part of what we do as Canadian uh, funders of programming, I think, is to really to say how, what, how can we leverage the dollars we have. Right. We have a long history, as, mm -hmm. as Krista has said, of treaty co-productions. We've modernized them, as Valerie said. These are all competitive advantages, but most importantly, I believe, because I am an ex-producer, that it's our ability to partner with non-Canadian parties. Um, and CBC has done partnerships now with uh, ABC Australia and BBC in the UK to foster and leverage the dollars that we have. We look forward to doing more and we will be announcing hopefully some more in Berlin.
Yeah, I think the partnerships are critical, no matter which side you look at it. Krista was involved, as was Catherine. We hosted an immersion uh, with the UK recently mm -hmm. in yeah. Toronto, just before TIFF. And this really focused on immersive content. And out of, those, out of that event has come a number of ways that the two countries can work together to kind of examine immersive content, what it looks like, how we can work with storytellers from both countries. And I think it competition comes down to the story. If you've got a great story, no matter what the platform is, and you've got a great idea and the world's interested, it usually will get some legs. And I think what we've done in Canada, we've had a terrific system for over 80 years, if you go back to the history of the NFB. And now we're at a juncture in the country where we're looking at what are the new tools? What is the best way that we can support our very talented and stellar story-making creators in the country to make sure we retain that competitive advantage in the world market. Part of what we you mentioned before too was the question of diversity mm -hmm. and how that's changing in Canada a lot. And, and at the CMF we brought together the CBC and Telefilm and the NFB and the CMPA and others to set up the Indigenous Screen Office a few yes. years ago and that's starting to really get its legs. And certainly the content coming out of Canada in Indigenous storytelling is kind of taking the world by storm right at the moment. And I think that that, you know, th through your leadership, truly, um, you set the stage for the Indigenous Green Office. And the thing is, it's there's so much more that's going in supporting that. So at Telefilm, um, that authenticity from an Indigenous voice is very important to us. So what we've done is we've put in place an Indigenous liaison. We have um, an Indigenous jury for any of the Indigenous content that's being funded. And to wrap all of that along is an Indigenous working group that we meet on a regular basis because at the end of the day it's constantly seen how it is that we need to improve and evolve to make sure that all of our voices and diversity in Canada is being reflected and I think to your your point that you know Kim's convenience and Vikings is resonating you know in different continents where the the concepts really emanate from is because we are that mirror of the world and we are truly looking up being authentic. I have to go back to what you said and one more thing about competitive advantage. Uh, Valerie talked about uh, the work that she did with the Canada Media Fund in the in really embracing new technology and I just mm -hmm. want to pause on that for a second and salute two projects that are CBC digital series mm -hmm. that come out of this tradition really that's been the last 10 years mm -hmm. yeah. where we as broadcasters or as funders have taken digital content seriously as a, as a true form of developing talent. So Supinder Rach has her series that's just been accepted at Slamdance, that's 410, and uh, Hey Lady is at Sundance, another um, digital series that, uh, that we're featuring on our OTT platform, uh, Gem. So it's really, it's really a, a very, very important thing that we don't just think of traditional television formats. We have been thinking for a very long time about what's happening in the marketplace globally. Yeah, and that, I mean, that, when that came to us, we were the Canadian Television Fund then, it was a bit of a surprise that that program and the mm -hmm. one at Telefilm, the Canada Media Fund, which was a lot of gaming, was rolled up. And it was, I think, a shock to the country. It was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, how could we ever marry these two types of content making? 
And of course, after a year of talking to the country, what everybody realized is everybody's in the same business, which is telling a great story for a particular audience, whether it's traditional TV or on the web or in a game environment. And I think that is one thing that's kept Canada competitive. You know, Venice is a very important film festival in the world. We've been invited for four or five years now to talk about how Canadian content makers in VR are leading the world. Technology is a different issue, but in terms of making the content. So yeah. I think for us, it's been a great, it was a forced marriage, if you like, but sure. quite successful mm -hmm. and has spawned a number of really compelling and exciting, those series that you mentioned and others. You know, we have a young woman out of Vancouver who's just, we just put some money into that through the experimental stream, a game called The Chain, The Chant is what it is. It's not made yet. It's not in the market yet, but will be in a year. She's a diverse woman from a, a very interesting culture mm. and the game is fascinating. It's kind of a psychological thriller, sci-fi horror base which is very popular so we'll see what happens with that but those elements I think have kept us in the market. You know Canada's a small country that's had a very big footprint around the world and but I the think things, the trick is finding the way forward. And it's not only just being au courant, it's also looking to the future. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we recently partnered the Canada Media Fund and Telefilm, for instance, on a research study yeah. on blockchain. So we're constantly looking at, you know, what's next and how can that potentially affect our business models and also we're sharing that information. Um, we did a panel at Cannes on, yeah. on blockchain, which is absolutely imperative that we share the, the trends that we're seeing. Yeah. And talking of technology, <laughs> you too, <laughs> let's say a little broader mm -hmm. audience would be for what um, CBC Radio-Canada has been doing in podcasting and how oh, we're yes. taking mm -hmm. uh, the global footprint that we've built for podcasting. We talk about punching above your weight. For sure, CBC's successes in podcasting have been world recognized uh, most recently with a project that we uh, co-produced with uh, Norway uh, called um, Hunting Warhead about the dark web and what we're doing now is we're really using the podcast audience that we've built in Canada but also largely outside of Canada to test ideas and to be able to look at what can we do to turn podcasts into television properties or digital properties. So it's content properties. development at the end correct, of the day. Yeah. Correct, correct. Yeah. But to go back to traditional television sure. for just a minute, because uh, it is still very, very uh, much a focus of our producers and, and, our, and our audiences. Uh, and I want to really salute this, uh, the accomplishment of um, the producers of Casablanca, the producers of C'est comme ça que je t'aime, which has just recently mm -hmm. been, um, uh, will be select has been selected and will be uh, premiered at Berlin as part of the uh, drama section. And what's important about that series is it's the first time a French-Canadian drama series has that platform on a global scale. And what it really means is, and I loved what uh, the director of Parasite said at the, I think it was the, uh, the uh, Golden Globes, about it's just, if you can get over that small subtitle, that one inch, that at, the one bottom, inch. The one inch yeah. at the bottom of yeah. the screen, you can reach the world. And yeah. I have to say, let's thank Netflix for that uh, gift, because in, if, we, if we really do owe it to that global player for bringing uh, subtitle programming back to audiences and a whole new generation of viewers who didn't watch 
subtitle sure. programming Absolutely. will now, I hope... They were uh, dismissing it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they were dismissing it. And now a show like uh, C'est comme ça que je t'aime, a French-Canadian show, will reach an international audience. I was just at the Cabell Film Festival, and Antigone played their telefilms right. entry, or Canada's mm -hmm. entry into the Oscars, which is a fabulous piece of content. If anybody hasn't seen it, please do. But it was very interesting because it was in French, subtitled in, let me get this right, subtitled in English, and then the Spanish was another subtitle right. underneath. Nobody had a problem with yeah, that. No. I think there was a time in our society where subtitles were difficult and, you know, dubbing was really horrible, but now people are understanding, I think, that compelling content comes from anywhere in the world. And you know, I think that you're all touching on a topic that I think we take for granted as Canadians is that we are multilingual. Um, and that is part of our international competitive advantage at the end of the day mm -hmm. is that we, as the our three institutions, our agencies, do produce mm -hmm. in French and in English. And, and in other languages. Exactly. And in other languages. And <laughs> most importantly, so one of my most cherished moments in my role so far at Telefilm was actually witnessing and hearing the filmmakers of Edge of a Knife, um, a film, an indigenous film that Telefilm funded. And they were talking about the creation and the making of this film actually was a step towards preserving the Haida language. Now the film is entirely in Haida, um, one of the indigenous native languages, which currently it is threatened to, to be extinct because there are less than 20 people who speak mm -hmm. Haida fluently. To me, that is so meaningful, and to be able then to share that to the world is even more so. Well, the content that's coming out of the Indigenous community, I mean, right back from the fast runner that mm -hmm. one can, you know, when the opportunity is given to people to speak in an, back to your comment, yeah. in an authentic way, exactly. with an authentic voice, it's pretty compelling on the competitive front. And I think it, it holds us in good stead to embrace that more and more. Yeah. Supporting new talent and engaging young audiences is at the heart of what CBC Radio Canada, the Canada Media Fund and Telefilm all do. Here's Krista. The Talent to Watch program is a program that evolved originally as a micro-budget and now it's been renamed Talent to Watch. We've been working on that for about six to seven years and what we've done is we've really, really staking a claim around the talent development, emerging, emerging talent. Um, it is a very unique program that is um, aspired to by other countries. A lot of countries are talking to us about it. It is the opportunity for first-time feature-length filmmakers to have $125,000 of budget. Now, we don't do this willy-nilly. We actually work with established partnerships. Again, that, that collaboration piece. So we have partnerships with 50-some uh, different academic institutions, group that represents underrepresented communities. Um, what is so beautiful is that, you know, in the last five years alone, we've launched the careers of 120 so directors. They've gone on to many accolades. Um, um, you know, I think of Firecrackers, um, Molly McGillan, she's gone on to do work for the mm -hmm. CBC. Mm -hmm. So we are creating really the talent that is fulfilling a pipeline for traditional as well as the more major giants as streamers um, out there. And it is very authentic and this is where we as, as partners in a commitment for parity and for diversity, we're actually kicking it out of the park. And so we're, we're very hopeful for the future um, that we will be reflective 
you know, will, if everybody will be able to recognize themselves in, in our films with that content. Fostering parity and diversity in the industry is key to Canada's success in reaching global audiences. Here, Catherine, Krista, and Valerie discuss their individual approaches to nurturing local stories and talent. So when we launched our strategic plan last year, we made engaging with younger audiences and really building a lifelong relationship with, uh, with the Canadian public a top priority. Unlike many public broadcasters around the world, CBC, Radio-Canada, did not launch a separate CBC Kids or Radio-Canada mm -hmm. Jeunesse channels. It was not part of the Canadian ecosystem. Remember, there was private broadcasters that took those uh, took that role. And then more recently, as there have been more stresses on the private broadcaster uh, industry and some of the players retreating from original independently produced Canadian content aimed at children, we really felt it was time for the public broadcaster to get back into that game in a serious way. Some of that is straight up TV series, preschool uh, shows, but a lot of it has to do with what uh, Valerie was talking about earlier. Um, how do we reach kids where they are? We know mm -hmm. that kids, once, they're, that once they go to school, and even before they go to school, they've moved from the uh, traditional television experience to an iP iPad and an on-demand experience. And that just cascades as they get to, as they grow older and they're uh, consuming largely on YouTube or on Facebook or on any number of other platforms. So our strategy around uh, kids has been figure out where they are and then serve them the kind of content that they're going to want to consume. So for example, we are primarily, like most public broadcasters, first and foremost, a news organization. The beating heart of what we do is trustworthy, credible, reliable news generation and reporting. So the natural uh, instinct for us, us was to create a kids' news service on the English side and on the French side. We just launched a series called Mage, Mon Actualité du Jour, which is a kids' news service for Francophone Canadians. There are many, many ways that we can do better and do more for kids in this country. I think, in a way, the fact that the public broadcaster did not have a formal role, we left it to the provincial mm -hmm. uh, educational broadcasters, and they've done a, an amazing job, but funds have been very limited. It has been a place where Canadian producers and production have traveled extremely well internationally. Uh, so it's something that I think, as a group, uh, we need to think about how do we double down on kids' production because it is something, uh, one, from an economic point of view, from an export point of view, we know our, our content travels. We have a great show right now on CBC called Endlings, which has multiple partners, mm -hmm. Hulu and uh, ABC Australia and uh, obviously the CBC. So there are a lot of opportunities to do more yeah. with kids' programming, and it's certainly a focus of ours right now. You know, there's a couple of things that we've done. We the the experimental stream side of the portfolio is very open to to new ideas, new ways of creating. It it tends to build an environment where people can take quite good risks, where they can look to different ways of making content towards the future. We develop what we call the accelerator program through that as well, in which we have accelerators that have been chosen around the world that can take some of that content, take it in-house, and actually build it forward into the next phase of its development and get it out into the market and be successful. I think the international partnerships do that as well in a slightly different way. I mean, they bring in 
other countries, obviously, that's important for financing. It's made quite a difference in terms of the development money that can come into a project. And I guess in terms of shaping the industry, in a way it does because it's opened up. I've had a lot of producers in the community talk to me about the fact without that small initial stage development, they never would have been able to in a traditional way, get the trailer or get the content to the point where they can take it out to the world and sell it. So it certainly helps give them a little bit of a leg up. I think our one of the biggest things we do around shaping the industry would have more to do with our industry and market trends department. For many years, now six or seven or eight, I guess that's not many, depending on how you're looking at the world, but for a few years now, we've tracked the international trends the very big trends around the world that are shaping what's happening in media everywhere in all countries. So we have a trends report that uh, has now become kind of a go-to in terms of the international community in which we track these movements and change. It's curated. It's information that comes to us from all over the world. So that certainly has helped shape people's ideas, I think, and it's a resource that that anyone can use and it's available you know, on the CMF website. So it's really a combination of those things that have helped us stay in that shaping or where's the future going, as Krista mentioned, around blockchain was one of the things that mm -hmm. came up yep. in the Trends Report a few years ago, and, and it's helping us understand what's happening worldwide in terms of trends and media and developments for the industry. On a less positive note, I would say one of the ways that we shape the industry is we are combating as a group, as an industry, uh, the what I would call the kind of overabundance of content mm -hmm. and the echo chamber and the um, the dangers of fake news and algorithms and how do we as a country and as an audiovisual team uh, ensure that Canada's values and uh, position in the world finds its place and mm -hmm. I think all of us in our way are trying to play uh, in that space and certainly as the, the head of CBC Radio-Canada, I've taken on a role as the chair of a group called the Global Task Force for Public Service Media. And again, it's not just about public broadcasting, it's about the type of programming that we think our audiences want and need to have to be um, good citizens, to participate in a democratic process. And so I do think it's important that when we're talking about all the great things about Canada, to also say there are forces of evil in the world that do not necessarily support our points of view. And one of the great things I think about this industry is that we have investors like the Canada Media Fund partners and investors like Telefilm Canada that are always trying to help tell the stories of our values. I think, you know, Canada has a very stellar and strong reputation for many things. We're a democratic country, we've oh. got a great banking system, our water's still pretty good until we sell it all. And, well, let's hope, speaking of pessimism, uh, let's hope we keep our water. And, you know, it's our storytelling, too. It's helped build our international re reputation as a country that embraces others, that is generally fair in its approach. I mean, we have dark histories, yes. certainly, uh, like anywhere. And we're trying to, to certainly correct that in terms of the whole process of reconciliation with Indigenous people. But I think those forces are out there and if you stay true to the story and true to authenticity and allow those individuals from all of those communities to take a stronger place in our country, it should help us retain those kind of basic values that we, that we are known for all over the world. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, echoing what you're saying and building on the authenticity, it's about being relevant today. Yeah. And, you know, there's a tendency to play catch up, but how is it that we're going to propel ourselves towards the future? So for us, for instance, it's, you know, one of the questions that we struggle with is how should we be defining success moving forward? Um, and going back to our principles and values is absolutely important. Um, and, and, and I think of Telfilm's mandate, and it's assumed in there that it's a balanced portfolio. And that's tough at the end of the day. So there's, there's some clear decisions that need to happen sometimes. I don't like to use the word parity because why do we want to keep women at 50% anyway? <laughs> but, you know, we made a decision four years back that we, we don't, because we don't choose the projects, still today, when a producer comes to the Canada Media Fund, they have to have a Canadian broadcaster attached for most of our programs, not all. So we're not in a position to choose those projects or air them. The only hammer really, and we prefer to use carrots, but sometimes mm -hmm. you have to use a hammer, is the money. So we challenged our broadcast sector to meet certain requirements over the following three years in which 50% at minimum of our productions that were financed through the CMF, through the broadcast system, would have individuals uh, in lead positions, producers, writers, showrunners, directors, who were female. And I'm you know, very proud of our broadcast industry. Everybody stepped up. We're well over the 40% marker in most of those positions. Directing is the one that's still over a little 50%, low. Over 50%. And, oh, and some are over 50. <laughs> and I think the new stats I just got was that 76% of broadcasters exceeded the actual target mm -hmm. that was set for last year. So, you know, women are 50% of the population. Uh, we don't personally at the CMF view them as part of the diversity question. They're really about the talent in the country. There's no excuse for them not having the opportunity. The talent's out there. They've had mentorships. They've had training. What they need is access. And I think that is starting to change right across the country. On the diversity front, we're trying to find the right way to move down that road. We're working with our partners at Telefilm and many others to look at what can the most compelling and most impactful process towards that be. Because all of these things are about a change in attitude of our society. It's yeah. about embracing differences. It's about embracing different storytelling and ideas. We've always had some diverse content that's been financed through the CMF. I remember a fantastic series, De Kink in My Hair, that was mm -hmm. done from the Caribbean community, I believe. And it didn't last as long as it should have in the system. But they're coming around again on the Indigenous front. We talked about the creation of the Indigenous Screen Office. We still have the largest program in Canada that supports Indigenous storytelling. And I think our, our intent is to ensure that that piece of money moves to the Indigenous Screen Office so that the people making the decisions, during the decisions, looking at that incredible body of content out there, that those decisions are made totally by the Indigenous community. So we're in the process of making that shift. So I think that from a gender parity perspective, we do have a working group that we work greatly with. And Telefilm is in the parity zone, so the 40 to 60 for the three principal roles that we track. So that'd be principal director, um, principal um, producer, and screenwriter. And we are seeing great progress where there is still 
a lot of room for improvement is in the higher budget films. So that is where we're focusing our efforts next. As we said with the, the Talent to Watch program, we're not very worried about the future. We overexceed in, in that category when it comes to gender parity and as well in documentary. So now it's really the higher budget films that we're looking at. And from a diversity and inclusion You're absolutely correct, Val. It's not only about gender parity. There's just so much that falls underneath that. What we've learned from our experience with our gender parity uh, working group, our Indigenous working groups, is that these are complex. So we are going to start a cultural diversity working group. And one of the things I've been leading is a conversation with my peers that I had at um, TIFF um, around what are those definitions. Finding common language when we, when we track things differently is challenging. There's an expectation out there. It's the right thing to do. So we're, we're at the table. For us to be relevant... Mm-hmm. Um, us as the public broadcaster, but also the major investors in uh, Canadian content, we have a, a, a moral obligation to reflect the population uh, that we serve. And I'm, I, I probably take a, uh, a little slightly more um, aggressive position on diversity, uh, just because we are pr- the largest employer in, this, mm-hmm. in the, in the mm-hmm, sector, mm-hmm. Uh, with over 7,500 employees across the country. Uh, we started measuring our workforce. It starts there. If people don't see themselves on screen, in the news, uh, on, or hear themselves on the radio, they're not going to connect with their public broadcaster and we're not going to be relevant. So we started there. And then this year at Banff, uh, we dis- made the decision uh, that if you don't measure it, you don't change it. So we put out uh, a challenge to the independent production community, just as uh, Valerie and others have done on the, on the gender parity issue. Uh, we did it for diversity, and we said that we would not green light independent production um, without a demonstration of at least one-third of the decision-making creative coming from a diverse background, and that excludes women. I'm with mm-hmm. you, Valerie, mm-hmm. women are not, I mean, we can go- talk about intersectionality, yeah. but, but uh, what we're really talking about uh, indigenous and people of color, disabled, uh, uh, and other groups that are underrepresented in the society. I guess for us, you know, the indigenous imperative is different. Mm-hmm. We don't consider that as part of the diversity of gender. Diversity is really people of color who haven't had a chance yep. to get these shows up and running in our system. And indigenous people are, are, I don't think themselves, I can't speak on their behalf, but certainly don't consider themselves part of a diversity agenda in the broader sense of the word. If we want to remain competitive, it's those communities that are going to get us there as a country mm-hmm. because that's where the really interesting and unique storytelling is coming from. Here, here. Great challenges lie ahead for the Canadian audiovisual industry, and with great challenges come great opportunities. So how optimistic are our three industry leaders about the next 10 years? Here's Catherine. When we say we're living in a, we're living in a global marketplace, we're living in a, a truly global world. And so when you talk about immigration, uh, we know over 20% of the current Canadian population was born outside of Canada those numbers are going up dramatically. So how we get to that, I think it's actually a very, very common phenomenon. 
the phenomenon of, of refugees is a shared world obligation and experience. So these are the stories that resonate because we are living on a, on a single planet with some single planet challenges, whether it's climate change, human rights, um, movement of people across the world. All of that to me is this, this uh, heightening of the shared experience uh, coming from the local to the global. And, you know, I think of a show like Trickster to go back to an indigenous uh, series that we hope to will be an enormous success that for the first time CBC has uh, commissioned a show that's based on an indigenous uh, literary work by Eden Robinson with a, an indigenous filmmaker, Michelle Latmer and producer and an entirely indigenous team. And I've been in this business 30 years. It has taken a very mm -hmm. long time for Canada's public broadcaster to, to find and to support a dramatic series like Trickster. And it is amazing. Yeah, I think that's a, there's a good point there because while we talk about all these things quite philosophically, mm -hmm. I think there are many people, especially from uh, communities of color out there who would say that's all great, but there's no access entry point. It's very tough for right. people to get into the door of these institutions. Partly that's because of the way they've been developed. Yes, we are in tremendous positive change. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it behooves us all to, again, look at where are the stories coming from? Where are the people who have that group? Because it's no one's, you can't blame anyone. I mean, people work with who they know. They work with who they've worked with before. They work with, you know, people sure. who can deliver on time and on budget. That Those are it's very important It's a high-risk business. It's, it's a, a lot of very, dollars. It's a lot of money yeah. involved, and yeah. it's very high yeah. risk. And I think the question becomes, how do you move that dial so that you have an entry point for new ideas and compelling stories? And I think everybody's in the business of doing that right now. For many, uh, it, they're impatient about it, and rightly so. It's been a long time coming, as you said, for our time. national public broadcaster to get to the point where you've got a fabulous series like Trickster. Yeah. That's the really interesting part. First of all, the whole digital revolution changed everything for everybody. And now in Canada, we have all of the big players are in the country working with us. Um, they provide tremendous opportunities for our production community. With that comes a lot of challenges. There's been very significant downward pressure on the Canadian system, which was set up a very long time ago based on regulation. And that downward pressure, you know, we have a two-tier kind of funding stream, if you like, those who are forced to contribute to the making of the content and those who don't. So we're at a very interesting crossroads of change, I think I like to call it, in the country. Um, the, the legislation's being reviewed. The government has been very vocal about change that needs to come for the country. And I think if we truly want to leverage the great success we've had in the past in the world market, change will have to come for the country. There's no question about that because our system that's built this tremendous creative talent base and stories that travel the world, that particular system is not likely to hold for much longer unless there is significant change. And that's just a reflection of the world. It's a reflection of what's happened everywhere. Canada is not unique in that position. So it's, you know, in terms of worldwide distribution and the, and the, di the deep pockets of these global institutions, there are real advantages to that and there are real downsides to that when you're looking at a country like Canada where we have, you know, a small community that has been required to support the content for a very long time. The foreign entities, you know, they have bigger pockets, they can license higher, they can attract deep talent and that can be a very good thing for production. So I think the change for Canada that we're on the cusp of 
we hope and are looking very much forward to in the next few months will be really telling in terms of what the next steps towards the future are. After a long period of hand-wringing in this country about our regulatory yeah. system being antiquated, um, the, the threat of the global giants, how are we going to possibly compete against the billions of dollars that these companies have at their disposal and that are obviously offering enormous opportunity for our creators. Uh, Schitt's Creek being an unbelievable example. That show was developed, nurtured uh, in Canada, along with a lot of other comedy talent. And Netflix has taken that to the world. And for that, we are enormously grateful. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. mm -hmm. However, we don't want the next Schitt's Creek not to be part of the Canadian experience. We want how do we ensure that Canadian creators see Canada as a viable place to do business and to tell their stories. So part of that, I, I think it's changing the narrative a little bit too. So this is my New Year's resolution. Rather than to say woe is us against these great global giants, it's to say carpe destiny. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. this is our moment, this is our decade, and we are on the cusp of enormous change, regulatory change, a review of the Broadcasting Act, which is determines the mandate of the public broadcaster, uh, ch funding challenges, mm -hmm. declining conventional advertising revenue, declining subscription revenue to cable services and uh, specialty channels. We are currently living a system where we're operating uh, digital and linear at the same time, and we have obligations on both sides. And it is very, very challenging. I really feel like we, as, uh, as leaders in the industry, we need to excite Canadians uh, with the possibilities, with the yeah. successes, working moms, um, these, all these shows that we have that people are consuming around the world and to stand up and really hopefully take ownership of that, those successes. Yeah, I don't think no. it's a woe is us at all. I think it's an incredibly exciting future and the talent that's been developed and the storytelling that's been developed over the last 80 years is ready to fly. It's ready to take its further place and I think it's really a question of what are the tools we use to leverage that? Yep. What yep. are the tools that we can leverage the success and make sure we get the stuff made in Canada. It has a Canadian imprint, but it is able to be distributed throughout the world and those stories have to go to the world. We can't stand on the 49th parallel and look up anymore. Those days are long gone, but we need the right tools in Canada, I think, to make sure that we keep well, our creators I, out there. Right, and we also want to ensure that intellectual property is held in Absolutely. the hands of Canadians. I mean, that okay. ultimately becomes the biggest challenge uh, with the global players. They are obviously contributing enormously to uh, the world economy and to great storytelling, but without that ownership of intellectual property, how do we build a viable business and industry for the long term? So yeah, that's and one I think of the there's, a, there's some opportunities there as well to seize the day, if mm -hmm. you like, to start mm -hmm. having those conversations in a, in a real way with the global players, because the content is the content. They like Canada, they like the stories, they like our crews, they like all of it. So the question becomes, if you want to keep you know, nurturing a talent base here, there's, there's a way to do it, and part of that is through how do we look at the IP for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, and from my perspective, you know, we, we simply do not have as much funds as we need to get the work done to support the audiovisual industry. So it's about diversification. You're talking about revenues. We're looking at, at uh, recruitment. We look at partnerships. We have um, an advisory committee, the Talent Fund, which is philanthropists. We, we, we know change is going to come. The fact that we're doing this together is the partnership we need. 
those of us who have been around the industry for a long time, we've lived through uh, tectonic changes mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. uh, where people said nobody would watch television anymore, uh, nobody would uh, subscribe to uh, a, a specialty service. I mean, we've gone through this kind of collective discussion on the industry, and for sure there has been this, an explosion in technology, uh, and, and, and for sure it has threatened the, call it the legacy system, but it really is extremely important uh, how we as the canary in the coal mine a little bit, because we are so close, uh, we're a small country, but we do border, we do share a very important border with the United States. Uh, we are a canary in the coal mine for the, both the, mm -hmm. the challenges of, to regulation for the industry, but also for the opportunity. Absolutely. So I think that, that the fact that we have three organizations dedicated to supporting our creators, to being an engine of growth for cultural expression worldwide, in Canada and worldwide, is extremely rare. Yeah. I just want to salute my colleagues. It's an extremely rare thing to have such an amazing infrastructure and, uh, and, and different toolkit. We're all yeah. working in different ways, but we support each other. And, uh, and so I just want to say what a privilege it is to work with these it two is. women. You know, and I think it, it's true. I mean, we are, we are in the same basket, so to speak. And mm -hmm. I think we all work collectively on the Made, the made campaign. Yes which actually celebrates what Canada has produced, what it is continuing to produce. And it's just talent that is still here at home and talent that we've exported around the world because that is a pretty big export business for us too, is our great creators that are able to move around the world and do their work. And I think the important piece about that is reminding all of us, including the public, including the world, of that success story. Because we don't always think about it that way. You're right. We talked this morning about the angst. We're on in this constant state mm -hmm. of angst always. Every year there's some <laughs> tectonic shift that's going to kill us all and nothing will ever be the same. And you know what? It survives and the stories keep going. And I think that's our real obligation, is to make sure we do our part to find those right tools and Canada stays successful at home and certainly reaches around the world. And it's a privilege to work with both of you on that. So one of the great uh, opportunities uh, that lies ahead for Canada is uh, will be occurring at the Frankfurt Book Fair. This year, Canada is the country of honor. That's right. And each of our organizations, plus a whole lot of other cultural institutions, have banded together and are, are working super hard to bring the very, very best of Canadian cultural experience literary, audiovisual, performance, music, uh, music mm -hmm. to, uh, to Germany and to celebrate it at, at, in Frankfurt in October. And hopefully lots of Canadian stories will be there in many exactly. of those shapes and forms. Exactly. That concludes this special edition of The Screen Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Head to ScreenDaily.com to hear future episodes featuring insight from some of the world's most influential industry players. I'm Matt Mueller. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.